0: A smart person learns from their mistakes. A wise person learns from others' mistakes. Welcome to the My Mistakes podcast. We cover the lessons learned from the mistakes we've made in business so you won't do the same. I'm Chris Chanchuli. Have you ever wondered what it's like to be a rock star? I have, and today's guest, Mark and Sean from Taking Back Sunday are gonna talk about what it was like getting to the point of playing in front of 80,000 fans. They'll talk about stories of eating ramen, sleeping in parking lots, and riding around the country in their mom's minivan. This episode is being brought to you by Don Pablo Coffee. Specialty grade beans, roasted in small batches. It's a better cup of coffee. Get yours at Amazon or at DonPabloCoffee.com. So today's guest on the My Mistakes podcast, I'm very excited about because I've always wanted to know what it would be like to be a rock star. I've wanted to know what it'd be like on a tax return to put occupation, rock star, to live that life and get to do the things that a rock star does, which I'm not even sure what that is. Hence why I'm excited for today's interview. Now, this is a band that I got into and I'm almost embarrassed to say for my father-in-law. My father-in-law was coming over on Saturday, and he said that he couldn't come too early because he was going to be out late at a show. And I thought he meant like a Broadway musical or something or other. And I said, oh, what are you seeing? And he said, Taking Back Sunday. And I said, who? And he said, and I had heard the name, like it was familiar, but I wasn't sure what the band. He said, it's a band I'm really into. And I said, you're into them? Sure enough, I looked up our guest, saw the band, loved them, and then got into them, and then got very into it because my seven-year-old daughter loves their music as well. Go figure. So today on the My Mistakes podcast, I'm lucky enough to be with Mark and Sean from Taking Back Sunday. Mark, if you can start off, thanks for being here and welcome. And please tell us a little bit about yourself and basic history, who you are, where you're from. Well,
1: I am a husband and a father of two. Obviously, I'm a musician. I've been playing music with, with Sean for my entire life. So we are, we are music musical partners. Who am I? I don't know. I guess I try to be the best guy I could be, and a nice guy, and, uh, and that's it. You know, just do my thing. I, you know, I grew up with Sean. Like, Sean's from Baldwin, right? I grew up in Baldwin up until I was like 10, then I moved to Rockwell Center. From there, like when I moved out of my parents' house, I moved to Long Beach around age 23 or 24, and I've been here ever since.
0: So always a Long Island guy. Yeah. Nice. And what about yourself, Sean, and then how did you meet Mark? What age were you guys when that took place?
2: I believe Mark and I first met, like the initial contact in kindergarten. I think he was in the afternoon class, I was in the morning class, and they did like a combined thing. So I think we met then. And then I think we kind of became friends maybe around first grade, second grade, and almost immediately started playing music together. We had a band. I remember I had a keyboard that I got for Christmas or something one year, and I brought it down to his basement, maybe in second or third grade. And we didn't, Mark could actually play the drums. I couldn't do anything. So I just kind of bashed on the keys. But we started a band with our friends called the M&Ms, probably around third grade. So we've been making music or some sort of noise since then, for sure.
0: That's very cathartic for me. Like in fifth grade, I had the same dream, did all the same stuff. So you guys start playing together and you guys know that you have a knack or get along or friends. How do you guys start inviting other people in? And were you guys good the second you took to an instrument? I
1: never remember Sean not being good at the bass. You know, I I can't remember that. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) so, and and not to be like, yeah, yeah, we're just immediately really, really good. And we're just very talented, but like, When you pick something up and you love it immediately, you you don't put it down, especially when you're a kid and you make sure that you're playing it right. So I feel like both of us have done that.
0: Did you guys like naturally gravitate toward a specific instrument or like, Sean, were you? Oh, we need a bass player because no kids play the bass. I'll learn bass so I can be in this band.
2: Yeah, there, there was something to it. A lot of our friends started playing guitar. Nick, our mutual friend, was playing guitar and he could shred. And he would play, he would take lessons. And I t- started taking lessons with his teacher because he was learning all the cool stuff I wanted to learn. So I knew everyone was playing guitar and I tried guitar a little bit early on and it didn't really connect. Then I started seeing in like a, a JCPenney or Macy's catalog basses. I was like, I don't know what a bass does, but Duff McKagan from Guns N' Roses looks really cool when he plays. So maybe I can do that. It's only four strings. It's probably a little bit easier. So I was able to, to get a bass for my 12th birthday towards the end of 1992. And I just kind of took to it and started taking lessons. And it was great because Nirvana had just became the most popular band in the world. So their songs were relatively simplistic as opposed to Guns N' Roses songs or Metallica songs, which were a little bit harder to wrap our heads around. And that's why Mark thinks I was good right from the beginning, because I was playing relatively simple stuff. But I was passionate about it. I took lessons my parents would drive me around going to these lessons and stuff. And that gave me a lot of opportunities to do that. And I just, I think I could appreciate it at the time. Like I wanted to be a part of this thing. I wanted to play music with my friends and and that's why I was able to just stick with it. I had good encouragement from my friends, from my family and and guys like Mark, guys like our friend, Nick, who kind of lifted me up and showed me different music and different ways to play and stuff. So I think that was a, a big part of me getting good relatively early.
0: I wonder how many people are going to hear this who like I'm sitting here with a dumb grin on my face, like twisting my beard, listening to you say that because the same thing occurred for me. I got an Ibanez SR800 around the exact same time Nirvana had just come out. It went through my mind. Four strings, Duff McKagan, all of the same things um, that like drew me in. Something about just how cool they were doing it. And wow. What about Mark when it came to playing drums same kind of story is there something that like drew you into letting out aggression while drumming or was it that you always liked the drums
1: the first drum i got a snare drum one christmas i was at you know a family party and i went to my aunt's basement and was just kind of rummaging through their stuff i don't know why i did that but I, i was doing that and i found a snare drum and i went up to my aunt and i asked her i was like can i have this and she said, "Please, please take that," and and that was how that started. And man, like it, it, it was perfect for me because I, I've dealt with like you know learning disabilities all throughout, and I you know like throughout school, and that was hard. And like having that be a thing to help me get through that, like yeah, straight up, like it it, it was something for aggression and and dealing and kind of coping. And just loving music. Music was immediate for me. Like, I knew right off the bat, like, this is what I want to do. And, you know, people, you know, you always hear people say, well, you have to go to college if you want to be something. Yada, da, da, da. Well, I thought, like, well, there's got to be, like, I want to go to Rockstar College. I want to go, (laughs) like, how do I go to college to, to be a drummer in a big, famous band? And I thought that that was actually a thing, but. It's
2: not. What college did Lars Ulrich go to? I want to go to that one. Right, right. Wherever Lars
1: Lars Ulrich studied, that's where I'm going to go. So I could be just like that.
2: Something stood
0: out, Mark, when watching you play. And what stood out to me the most is how in the moment you are, where you are completely unaware of anything around you. Like you look so into it, like fully immersed 100%. Can you speak to that?
1: I mean, when we're playing, man, like I get to play drums next to Sean and 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 our other brothers, like John and Adam. Like that's that's uh, you know that we're family at this point, and 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 to be able to play in front of the amount of people that we play to, and 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 get the reactions that we get is is incredible. I guess with that, like none of us take it for granted, so it's exciting. Every single night is really really exciting. So that's what that is.
0: Let me ask Sean this one. When would you say was that first moment where you thought to yourself, holy shit, we're going to be famous?
2: <laughs> I don't know about the famous thing, but definitely, there, there's definitely specific moments with Taking Back Sunday in the very early stages. Mark and I had played in several bands you know beginning as earlier as, as we mentioned before second third grade and stuff and and none of it really worked out none of it no one took it as seriously as mark and i did you know mark was so driven and he like there were times when i wouldn't show up for band practice cuz i was working a job at a camera store and stuff and mark would be like dude we got to practice come on man he was so driven and so focused on that like i needed to learn that from him i think i definitely learned a lot We played in bands we couldn't find a singer. We played in bands where other people wouldn't show up and stuff. And it was very, very frustrating. So when Mark and I joined forces with John and Adam, it was the first time there were four guys in a room who all had the same focus and were as driven without any real idea that it could lead to a career. We just wanted to do it and do it well. And maybe we'd get to go on tour. Maybe we'd sign a record deal and get something out. And and that kind of be done, like, hey, could we sign a record deal? That was like the ultimate goal, not this 20-year career. This was unheard of. We didn't know people who did this for a living, let alone like even a serious hobby. So the thing was, when we got in the practice space and we started writing songs, I'll never forget when the song Great Romances of the 20th Century came together and Adam and John started singing their words and their melodies over it, over the music that we'd already written together. And it was goosebumps right away. The she says, come on, come on part. I I couldn't believe that singers in a band that Mark and I were a part of were doing that and and evoking such an emotion from me. And that was a very, very special thing. And I knew it was good. I didn't know that people would respond to it, but I knew I loved it. And I really connected with what everyone in my band was bringing to the table. So that was a kind of pivotal moment for me. Like, hey, maybe we'll be able to do something with this.
0: You just gave me goosebumps as you described it. That's awesome because I don't know it as far as music goes, but I know that feeling in business when just everything starts coming together and you just think, holy shit, like I'm responsible for this. Unbelievable. Mark, what about yourself? Like what's the most memorable moment that you had, like that first moment where you thought this is going to be big?
1: Well, you know what Sean just said, that memory is also clear as day for me as well, which is Which is crazy because, you know, it was nothing. Like we were just in my basement. But there's a lot of different moments and different levels to where we got, but like one moment was a a show that we had played in upstate New York. Poughkeepsie was of the chance. The chance. Yes. We were at this we were playing this venue called The Chance of Poughkeepsie. And I don't remember what tour it was or but it was very early on. And the reaction that we had gotten was so insane. And, and to me, we were so far away from where we lived in Long Island that I was like, I, I can't believe this. This is the dream. And I'll never forget that. Just seeing kids just go ape shit for little old us.
0: Does experiencing that get old when you see like an entire audience singing along to your words?
2: No. Never.
0: Wow. I've looked at like... Insane views of people like who live in Peru, and I think to myself, like to wake up to that every day at some point, you just take it for granted. And oh, yeah, I've seen that before. Like, what's the largest audience, Mark, that you guys have played in front of?
1: We opened up for Green Day, and that was huge. Milton Keynes Arena was that 80,000, something like that. Like, it, oh my it, god, it looked like it was like a C. It looked like it never ended. Eighty thousand people. Eight, yeah, like Holy something like that. Six, like seventy thousand, eighty thousand, like whatever it was. It was ridiculous.
0: Would you say that there were more people at that show than when Eminem's played their first show when you guys were back <laughs> in third grade?
2: Yeah, we didn't leave Mark's basement, so I'd assume. I think. I think even Mark's parents didn't want to hear the crap we were making.
0: Wow. <laughs> let me segue into kind of like how some of these opportunities come about because like you just said open for green day
2: how the hell do you
0: end up getting on green day's radar to where they're asking you guys to open up for them
1: warner brothers like straight up that's what that is like it's not like a billy joe armstrong called us up because he liked us so much it was just we were on warner brothers
0: (laughs) how does that phone call go phone ring and they go oh guess who you're opening for like is there any surprise to it do you get an email how'd that work
1: I get you know it was a long time ago, so yeah, probably a phone call, you know whatever it was. like I, I don't remember how I heard.
2: Yeah, that was like Green Day American Idiot Day, so that was you know a long while ago, but yeah, I'm sure I'm sure it was an email or a call. Was that the first like major tour that you were on? In, in my mind,
1: like the first major tour that we were on Sean what would, what, what would you say was the first major tour that we did?
2: It depends on major. We self booked a tour in the summer of 2001. Adam, our singer and a singer of this band, North Star, had booked together. We just, we kind of just drove down the East Coast and made it all the way to New Orleans and, and got home. And really, I mean, maybe we were lucky if we played to like 100 people on the tour total. So that was certainly not major. We signed to Victory Records and we, jumped on what was called the Victory Records Tour, and we were like the first of five. We had a 20-minute set. No one was very happy to have us join the tour. The tour was already in progress. That felt kind of major catch. 22 was the headliner, and that that felt kind of major. I don't know if I would call that... (laughs) Would you call that major? It was a real tour, and then things started to blow up on the Lawrence Arms Tour like two months later, and then we did a co-headliner that summer with Brand New, and that was definitely major because everything sold out in advance. I would say that was definitely the first major. Yes. So that was summer 2002.
0: So what's the experience when you, like you said, you self-booked and you guys driving down the East Coast, what's that experience? Are you in a van? Are you in a bus? Are you in your cars? How's that work?
2: We were in our guitar player, Eddie's soccer mom van that he would deliver food for local Long Island delis. Pulled all the seats out of that. We rented a U-Haul trailer, paid for everything out of pocket. I remember we drove down. We had an advanced copy of Jimmy World's Bleed American. And we were blasting that as we were going over the bridges, leaving New York and making our way down to, I think it was Richmond, Virginia, where we started. And we slept in the van overnight in a supermarket parking lot. We went and we showed up at the club, maybe three o'clock the next day, there was nobody there. We go, oh, geez, what are we going to do? Then we bought some booze from a local supermarket. We're drinking in the back of the van, waiting for the club to open up. They probably opened up at like five. So we really just had nothing to do. This is before internet. This is before smartphones. This is before... like I had just gotten my first cell phone. I definitely didn't have a cell phone at that point. I had just gotten mine. Yeah, it was a totally different world. So we're just waiting outside the club. Maybe 15 kids were at the show that night. And Adam was on stage. Adam's our lead singer and said, Hey, does anyone have a place we could crash at? So both bands ended up crashing at some stranger's house and slept on the floor and stuff. And it was not easy, but, man, we had the time of our lives, and it really bonded us for what was to come, I think. hmm
0: That's, wow. When you were looking out and you see 100 people, and you're not seeing 80,000 people, but 100, at any point during that first run, did you think to yourself, maybe we should give it up, maybe this isn't going to work out, maybe we're not as good as we thought we were? Fuck
1: no. 100 people was huge to us. There was never that's the thing, like there was never a point. That's why we did that's definitely why we did what we did, because all of us had that same mindset, like we're doing this, and a hundred and a hundred people, if we showed up to us, like that was gigantic and we took full advantage of it every every time. Like, all right, we're gonna win all these motherfuckers over.
2: All these people are gonna be fans of us when 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 they're done seeing us play. Yeah, and what, what happened was we would play almost weekly at this club called Ground Zero in Belmore here on Long Island. And we would, we would go to work or school or whatever we were doing during the day, and we'd practice at night. And then maybe it was like a Wednesday night, they'd have like the, the younger kids come in and play shows at this club. And as we made our demo CD that Mark and I would burn on our home computers, and we'd sell them, more and more people would show up every week. And it was a really, really quick turnaround. So we didn't even have time to really think too much about it. But we started just having a couple people at the show. Then more friends would show up. And then suddenly, a month in, people are singing along and we don't know them. And we're like, something's going on. This is crazy. And we're selling out. We're burning more and more CDs every show. And we're selling out of them. And then that's when the label kind of came along. Out of nowhere, things started happening very fast. So when you were selling the CDs,
0: what was the operation? So you're burning, you're packaging, are you mailing them out? Were you filling orders yourself? It was just being sold at shows that you would take with you?
2: Just at the shows. we would Mark and I would burn the CDs, and then Adam and John would work on the packaging and, and printing out the covers. That was kind of like the trade-off. I think they'd go to Kinko's and come up with some sort of cover artwork and stuff. We had a crummy little website that wasn't really doing much, but the internet wasn't such a, an important thing, 2001, 2002. So we would just sell them at shows and word of mouth, and people would take the CDs and burn them for other friends, and we didn't care. And, and it just went from there. It was a totally DIY operation. And I think we meet some stickers at one point as, as we started to become more entrepreneurial. Yeah, it all happened very fast.
0: So tell me about what was the biggest difference, other than not having to go to Kinko's anymore. What was the biggest difference that you found to being signed to a label? And what was that initial reaction when you were first signed to Mark, if you want to start with that?
1: Like, okay, like Sean had just said, we were selling these demos at the shows and. Michelle Lago, a girl that was, that used to come and, and actually she took all the photos of us on Tell Your Friends on the CD on Tell Your Friends. She was hanging out with Angel Warbe. Angel Warbe was worked as A&R or whatever at Victory Records and they were hanging out and she just threw the CD on one day in her car and he was like, yo, what is this? And she told him and that's basically it. And, and he sent it to Tony from Victory Records, and, and long story short, he just said, hey, we want to sign you guys. And, and it was an amazing feeling because we had literally sent it to every single label you could possibly think of, and every single label said no, like, no, just right off the bat, no. Like labels knew of us, even indie labels that like they were very aware of the scene that we were coming from and and other bands around us and and other people were getting signed and everyone else said no.
0: They were in the car when she put the CD on and he heard it. Yep. So right there, like I had this company in which we are an organization of over 150 businesses and we kind of highlight, do little case studies and something I've spoken about countless times is it's kind of like losing your car keys when you're looking for them, you never find them. Then when you're not concentrated on it or focusing, they appear. And it seems like a very similar story right there where just because it's important to you doesn't mean it's important to someone else. So you can go pitching yourself and sending demos to every single major, even minor labels, any label, but it came down to someone just being right place, right time, right move heard the music and it just resonated that moment and i bet when he told tony at victory he was probably passionate behind it like dude you gotta hear these guys so and that passion for you guys is probably what made him say wow they are good like like i can like see how it was that business parallel that you guys were working on without even realizing when you went on to victory and signed is it something to where you have your parents saying, Well, I don't know, they might be ripping you off, or I don't know, they let's have our lawyer friend or our uncle, whoever, is going to look at the agreement. Like, what's the reaction of those around you when you first get that offer?
2: Yeah, my parents were definitely very supportive, but hey, you gotta be wary of this and you gotta be wary of that. And the whole mindset within the band was, sure, we can be wary, but we've had so we, we had a couple of nibbles from from labels but no one made an offer no one followed through on it and then here's this guy saying i'm gonna put you in the studio on this date and you have x amount of money to do it with let's go so we took a vote on whether or not we should sign the contract and every hand went up in the room we said we knew we had to do that and it was absolutely the right move regardless of what the contract said we were lucky enough to find one of the most ethical lawyers we still work with him today in in different respects we met him at a show. We were playing out here on Long Island. And he said, hey, if anything ever happens with you guys, I think it will. Give me a call. And so we did. We met with him at Kate's Joint in Manhattan, Lower East Side. And he's like, hey, let, let's go over this contract. Let's figure it out and let's see what we can do. So he made it as good as he possibly could. But we had, we had no history. We, we hadn't done anything ever. So we, we signed that deal as, as quick as you could imagine. Five young, hungry kids. Good. It was definitely the best move because that was all right place, right time. We had a lot of luck with a band Thursday, who are great friends of ours, coming up right before us. They had signed a victory and they were doing some great things. They were blowing up, and so I think Tony wanted to wanted to capture that moment again with us, and we definitely did.
0: And when you see that agreement, I'm curious how. I mean, I've only heard on TV or whatever shows or interviews. Like, how does it work? Does the Label give you a lump sum of money, like let's say a hundred thousand dollars, and then five members. If there's four members in a band, I'll go four just for easy math and my own great math skills. So if you have four people, carry the one. So is it twenty five thousand dollars goes to each of you, and then okay, go, or is it use that money and then put the expenses? Like, tell me how that works. As-
1: well, no, like maybe with people that had. You know, I'm sure if you're uh, someone that is really sought after, and there's major label money coming your way. But with us, it was was, here's ten thousand dollars to record your record, and and that and that was it. Like that was that was it
2: we did not see a dime of that that all went to the studio and after tell your friends was done finished recording and it was you know it was done in a, a handful of weeks it was a very short amount of time we had a lot of things we wanted to change a lot we were going on tour this is january of 2002 we were leaving on tour for uh, with a band called rival schools and we're listening back to the mixes and we called the studio we we all took notes on on the changes we wanted to make to the mixes and things and we gave the studio a call And we said, Hey, there's a whole bunch of changes we want to do. You know, it shouldn't be too crazy, but let let's get on the phone and talk about that. And they go, Oh no, your record's done. We are over time, over budget. See ya. And we said, Oh, cool. Cool. Were you guys weren't in on like the
0: final mix, or it was the producer that the label had put in charge of that and it was really his call? Yeah. 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 Sean, if you can elaborate on that, like what we you were just saying. So you see that, you hear it back. Are you happy with the end result? Are you pissed off where you used to have 100% creative control, but now someone else was coming up with that final product? How's that hit you?
2: Well, they, they hadn't changed much of it, but there were a couple of key elements, different keyboard sounds and things where we liked the demos better. Back then, right when in the moment, we were all pretty pissed off, and very, it was very deflating to hit the road to know we were on like our first kind of tour with a a bigger band and we have this record that's done and, and we didn't have a say in the very final product now i've come to appreciate it more the the changes they made are not nearly as drastic as they seemed in the moment People love those songs for what, what they are and I think uh, the producer and the engineer added a great element to it and we didn't know what it was like to work in a studio on a record like that with those constraints. We ate up a lot of time because Adam our singer lost his voice in the recording process. He had he got sick over like the, the Christmas 2001 or something. so we had to spend time away from the studio because of that. so we didn't know how budgeting worked or what money was going and how the time was being used and stuff. so it was all, it was all a whirlwind process. Wow, that's totally not how I would have pictured it. So
0: once you're on tour, like, how do you guys monetize it to make money back? Because I'm just thinking about my parents. And if I were signing this, you know, victory, I would have known victory. I can just picture my dad saying, well, where do you get paid? Or how, how are you going to make any money doing this? Like, how were you able to survive and feed yourself when you first get signed and you're going on tour?
2: it was all diy we would sell merch we would do per diems of five bucks a day for each guy and then sometimes you get money for food from a from a club maybe that was an extra five or ten bucks so you budget wisely i remember the first tour we did that south book tour i mentioned earlier i brought a whole big bag of ramen on the road that i bought with my mom because i'm like well i'll fill it up when we get gas you know they always have hot water there so we knew we were going to be self-sufficient from the beginning we kind of had that mentality that no one's going to give us anything. We need to make this for ourselves. And that's what we did. We sold shirts. We asked for places to stay. We crashed on strangers' floors. And we always had enough money to get by. And it wasn't until we started to, to hit our stride after Tell Your Friends came out that we actually started making some some good money where we could be better than like off the Wendy's dollar menu. To that point
0: of what you just said, is there someone the label who tells you, "Hey, you're gonna get five dollars a day from us, and make sure to sell some merch"? Like, is someone telling you what to do, or you're figuring it out as you go by yourself?
2: Yeah, that that was all figured out by ourselves. You know, uh, Eddie, our our guitar player at the time, had toured and been through it, so he had an idea. You bring some cash that you made from from your jobs back home and stuff, and you fund the tour through working at the deli or or waiting tables or whatever everyone was doing at Mark was parking cars and stuff. So so everyone was was taking care of themselves any way they could to support the band habit. So before it could turn into a career. Because like I said earlier too, we had never seen anyone that Turn this thing into a, a full-time career this is gonna be like kind of in my mind it was a kind of fun hobby okay cool we got the record deal maybe we'll tour through the summer I'll go back to school I'll get into computer science or networking or something like that and, and go on from there but yeah it wasn't it wasn't really uh, something that seemed attainable to make it a career mark when you
0: guys were in this phase of going up working way up the ranks do you think that because you would have to go back to jobs like parking cars, working at a deli, waiting tables, do you think it made you want it that much more because you'd go from like, uh, I'm not judging the job, but not such a thrilling job or passion project of parking cars. Do you think that made you work harder at making it big as a musician or irrelevant?
1: That shit was not even an option. You know what I mean? So. It, it was never even like when I say like when I first started playing drums and, and and realizing that I wanted to do this like this it had to be this it had to i I don't know why like and it, there was just no other way about it so I like I always felt like let's just we have to do what's right to make this work so yeah like I, I don't really know like I don't really know how to explain what we what we did was right it just it just worked you know what i mean like like i just knew like i'm not going to do that fucking shit i'm going to play drums in this band
0: your answer i totally get because like I said, watching you play drums, you are fully immersed and a bomb could go off 10 feet away from you and I don't think you'd see it. And you can see that that's your level of passion in the moment. So I think maybe you just had your mind locked into we're going to do this and nothing else was even penetrating your thoughts. Yeah. That's what I got from your answer just now. Like, that's what I felt. So I don't know if I hit the nail on the head or if I'm totally off. No,
1: but- no, no, Yeah, you're right. And like, I don't really know how to explain it. Like. There's no, like, plan with that. It's either, it's just, like, that's what it is. Like, this is what I'm doing.
0: Guarantee people will hear this interview, and you don't need the words. They're going to understand exactly what you mean the same way I do, just from the way that you couldn't put words to it. I know right, exactly per- what you mean good. good. Perfect. Awesome. Awesome answer, and I totally, totally feel that. All right, so why did you guys have so many members, like, in the group, and is that kind of, like, a difficult thing because you can never get back that same closeness that, like, the core people that were eating ramen and sleeping on the floor of people in a bar's house to get by. Like, do you have a closeness with them that you never have with anyone else? And why the revolving door for a period of time?
1: Well, well Sean and John left and uh, to be honest. Yeah. It was, it was, it was a very big bummer for me. More, I felt like more than anyone else because the, they were the core. These were, these were my dudes. These were the guys that, were understanding and and they got it you know when when you meet someone and and you just go all right this dude gets it that's that's john and sean
0: Nick. yes exactly
1: there you go nick that's why that's why me sean and john and nick have been friends since we're five nick gets it man like so when they left it it it, it was it was the fucking worst because i was in a band with people that didn't get it so it was a bummer to say the least
0: how do you get other music, like, were they recommended to you? Do you put out, like, a on Craigslist, new singer wanted? Like, how does that go about?
1: No, like, Fred Fred was a dude that, you know, played shows with, with Eddie, and he, you know, he's a talented guy that could sing and, and play guitar well, and, you know, he, he, he could do the job, you know? But the thing was, he wasn't John, and, and Matt wasn't shown. So, at the end of the day, like, I I wanted them to be someone else that they weren't. So, you know, that's not possible for them.
0: From a business standpoint, you have someone, this isn't like you're back in third grade with the M&Ms and you're kicking out the recorder player to replace with a violinist. Like, here you are going on tour, like looking at what the trajectory is going to be are you guys signing an agreement where we are the band and okay this one's choosing to leave the band so this one's out new one's in like is everything done now with the lawyer and an agreement is someone still owed money from a tour what occurred for you guys
1: i mean everything was done legally yeah with lawyers and managers and you know it's a business it's just like any other business
0: So what I'm comparing it to is I've been in business with people before in which things don't work out and one party has to leave or forced to leave or bought out to leave. And I myself have been bitter at times saying, F him, this should be mine. I should still be getting this. I'll sue him. I'll like all his emotions come out. Did that ever come down to where like here you're arguing with friends over something that you never would have imagined you would be negotiating or arguing when you guys were just an innocent band starting off in Baldwin. like, and what is the reason why someone would leave or walk away from this?
1: Well, I mean, yeah, I was, I I was really mad at Sean for, for a long time, you know? And, and he was mad at me. Like we were mad at each other and, and, but that's it. Like, and and the thing is, is like our, our group of friends had been friends for so long so we still hung out
0: even when you guys weren't in the band together you were still hanging out and friends
1: and mm-hmm. there, there, there was there was a bit of a time where i was like i don't want to see that motherfucker at all like just a little bit though but then then you know time time happens and and you know i understood why he left i knew why he left and i knew why john left so even though i was still mad the friendship was more important to me you know
0: So are you the Axl Rose of taking back Sunday where like you retained the rights to the music and the band or like, how does that work? The last man standing is the original band.
1: Um, Well, well, they, they left, they want, they opted to leave. You know what I mean? They, they didn't want anything to do with it. So they said, go ahead, take
2: it. So the deal was, you know, with, with the, the very quick success of the band, the, the, the sharp trajectory to the moon, that was a lot for me to take and everyone in the band was changing and dealing with the stress of getting as popular as we were like i remember the first time we played in toronto the venue kept getting bumped up till they really couldn't bump it up anymore i think we were playing like a 200 capacity club and then shows sold out well in advance with scalpers at the door like 2500 people and there's a line wrapped around the block and like everyone kind of knew who we were so all of that all of that success really messes with you and suddenly you're on the road for two years when i hadn't left my bedroom much of high school suddenly i'm on the road all this time and life is changing and this band that was our little thing is out of our control we don't really have much of a say in where we're going or how it's coming and and there's different ideas within the band and how you want to approach that success. So that that all kind of became a struggle and it was too much for, for John and I to take in that moment. And there was lots of feelings involved and, and personal things that happened. So I was just like, I need to take a step back for my own personal well-being. And, and I know the band can be successful without me, but right now I can't be a part of it. If this is the end of music for me, that has to be the way it is. And when John and I stepped away, like Mark had said, we stepped away, knowing that Taking Back Sunday would go on. There was no arguing. There was no fighting, and that—that's part of the brotherhood of it too. It was like, yeah, you guys have the band, and you go on from here. I'm paid for all the work I've done, and we'll go our separate ways. You know, without much of a thought of ever coming back. You know, and I, I was—I was prepared for that, and I was at peace with that decision. It wasn't—you know—it it was one of those things. Like Mark just having to play the drums. I had to leave Taking Back Sunday at that time.
0: I've heard people say from pop stars to athletes or people I've worked with in the fitness world when they achieve a certain success. I'm always interested in this. So like you just said it was a lot to handle. It happened very fast, hard to take. What do you mean? What was it that was different? Like specifically, like what were you feeling and what was that emotion leading to and how did you cope with it?
2: Do You feel like your your life is kind of getting out of control. Like I was saying, suddenly more and more tour dates were popping up. You think you have X amount of time home, and then there's pressure to, to create the next album. But you haven't really lived life. You've been going from show to show, and you're exhausting yourself. Back in those, those first days, before we could afford a bus, we were touring in a van and driving ourselves through the middle of the night and really burning the candle at both ends. We were all drinking too much, partying too hard, like experiencing this thing and, and having attention, whether it was just friends, attention from girls that, you know, uh, before the band took off, Mark and I would spend nights in my backyard, just the two of us, all of our friends were experiencing college and doing all this stuff. And we were the biggest losers you could ever meet. No one wanted to hang out with us as all our friends started advancing in their lives.
0: Is this the first time that people are like giving you that kind of attention? Is it the first time that you feel wanted? Like, what is that emotion?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was overwhelming. That, that's the biggest way thing I could, I could say is to me, it was overwhelming. It was like too much, you know, but, but I still wanted more of it until a point where I just broke and I said, okay, no, like, I, I got to go back home. Like, I got to sort my thoughts out and, and figure out something. Like, this is way too fast and too crazy, and I don't even know who I am. You know and and to think that all this was happening when we were twenty twenty one twenty two years old, your brain's not even fully formed yet, and you're having all this success, but you don't know you don't you can't call up anyone and say, "Hey, how did you deal with this?" There was no one in my family that had success like that with a rock band and attention and, and some sort of fame and stuff so so overwhelming is the best way I could describe it, and it just gave me intense anxiety where I had to pull back, had to pull away.
0: All right. So I want to ride th- that to anxiety. So being that young, are you calling home, talking to your mom and dad and they're saying come home or they're saying toughen
2: up? No, I mean, I couldn't really talk to them about it because I don't think they really, they really could have wrapped their head around the whole thing too. You know, like hey, if I did, they yeah, you know, Hey, this is a good thing. You know, it's going to be good, but they also don't, don't understand what it's like to be on, on the road and, and driving and, and hotel to hotel and, and strangers' floors and all, all that stuff. So I think it was very hard to, to communicate that. And the only people, I think, on a much grander scale, the Beatles had the same thing. Like they just sit in a, a hotel room because only the four of them could really under, understand what they were going through. So same with us. It was like the five of us in the band then could really get it. But we were all being pulled in different directions too with how we were coping with it or how we were appreciating it or not appreciating it. So you had five very different personalities coping with, something so crazy when you left
0: the group you said something earlier that resonated you said i know they'll be fine i know the band will go on without me i've never wanted like if i have ever left something secretly i'm thinking oh i hope they fail screw them they don't want to be with me i hope they crash and burn and lose everything like that that was my immature way of thinking how did you have such a mature way of thinking they'll be fine without me and where did that upset you to think that you could just be replaced
2: no i I never even thought about me being replaced i knew that mark and adam and eddie were so talented and so driven and that was part of what kept them with the band to work through all of those struggles and and to figure it out so like i had no ego about me being replaced i was going to go off and do my own thing and and figure out who i was because it was all about me i wanted to leave i wasn't kicked out if i'd been kicked out that might have been a different story if they said hey you're not good enough you're not you're not talented enough or you don't look cool enough or any of those things that would have probably hurt but since it was me making the decision to take myself out of out of a out of the situation i didn't have the ego about it but i knew between the talent and the drive within the band that it could it could certainly excel
0: mark what about from you did you feel abandoned yeah i was pissed I was very. I was really pissed. Yeah. <laughs> what made you pissed? Did you not understand what he was talking about? Like I thought you were someone who understood the same things he was going through. Like why do you think you handled it better and you didn't break, but he needed to go home?
1: You know, I I don't know. Like, man, it it was. My my mind was just like, man, nothing is gonna fucking get in get in the way of what I'm doing with this. Nothing, like, and. Just, I was mad, but you know, what are you going to do? So people, people do what they want to do
2: with Mark too. We had several conversations and stuff where, where he was, you know, you, you go through how long it takes you to be successful in all these different bands and then you finally get it. So with, with Mark, he had several conversations with me. He's like, Hey man, like we only get one shot at this. I really want you to be here with me doing it. Like we might not get this shot again. This is this could be it for our lives. And we we should do this thing to the best of our ability and and ride it as long as we can. And I understood that, but for me, I felt like my brain would break if I kept on the the crazy taking back Sunday ride in that moment.
1: Right. And you know, you know at the end of the day like and we've all talked about this like if 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 John and Sean had not done what they did and left when they needed to leave i highly doubt that we would be a band right now and they would have never come back like what where we are right now is because of everything that happened with every single step of the way you know what i mean mark you could have done anything in life
0: anything that you had you had chosen to do in life i will guarantee you would have been successful at (laughs) because you can tell you're so driven where The fact that, like, I know some people might hear you answer a question and you can hear that you're not sure the right words. You're going, like, I totally know what you're thinking the same way that you drum where you're in a zone and you wouldn't see a bomb go off 10 feet away from you. Even like the pep talk that you gave about one chance, one opportunity, like. That's the shit that's in Hollywood movies, like for like the the shit that people put on YouTube so they can feel motivated because they have a really shitty attitude and they look for others to motivate them. Like those are the words that you just you spit to try to keep Sean from leaving. And I totally see why you'd feel abandoned because he was fucking with your dream.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But, you you know, and and the other crazy thing about it is, is when they did leave in in my mind there there was never a second to where i thought like that's it for them like i i just i like i for some reason i always thought like no fucking way these guys are not going to be back in this band like i have to get rid of these toxic motherfuckers that are fucking my shit up <laughs> that came into the band so they didn't know that the guys in the band adam adam didn't know that but that's what I thought.
2: And seven years later, you got your wish. It only took seven years. <laughs> it was seven years
0: you were away. Yep. Seven, yeah, seven years. What were you doing for those seven years? Did it take seven years to work out the anxiety about being on the road? I mean, yo, I mean, yo, during those seven years, man,
1: we were incredibly successful. You know what I mean? Like, like Sunday was doing very well.
0: You missed it, Sean. You missed the party.
2: I did. I did. And and it it shows how unsuccessful I was because you haven't heard of it. Yeah. For seven years, John and I, we started a band called Straylight Run and we did very well initially. And then the wheels came off of that. We had more success than I had ever imagined doing, creating music outside of Taking Back Sunday. Huh.
0: And I was not aware of Brand New. I love all your guys' music and I love kind of like, you'd think I'm like a 14-year-old emo girl if you look a (laughs) lot. my Spotify playlists brand new came on my radar because I trained Brian's mom for years. She's all my sons in a band. And I thought she meant like for weddings or something. She told me the band, I swear to you, she said, Oh, they're brand new. I'm like, Oh, what's her name? She's like, <laughs> what's name? And I was like, they play locally. And she's like, no, the band is called brand new. And I was like, that's her name. And then I had a couple clients, two girls. They'll hear this interview, Rachel and Amanda, who reside or used to reside in the Long Beach area. And they said, "Oh, you're brand new!" And they named all these songs. And then they told me, "Oh, yeah, they have this whole thing between them and Taking Back Sunday." I'm like, "Oh, I know Taking Back Sunday. My father-in-law goes to that." And again, <laughs> that story. And then uh, I listened to Brand New, and they were great. I uh, thought they were phenomenal. And then I heard like the whole drama of, oh, well, their singer used to be the singer of Taking Back Sunday and blah, 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 blah. So I didn't know the drama as it happened. I heard the story afterwards and it was kind of interesting and soap opera like. But what happened with that and what is it like when you have a singer or someone who kind of like is the face of the band when you lose that face to have to replace them? Do you feel like what ACDC fell or what any of these like groups that journey, do you feel like these groups who have to like replace that? Are you trying to find someone with the same sound or are you just trying to find someone that you guys click with?
2: Well, Jesse, Jesse was never a part of the band. Exactly. He sang on a couple of the old demos with the old singer Antonio. So, so that's like going, going back old, old school stuff. So anything that happened later, like he wasn't—he wasn't a part of. He played bass on a couple shows when Adam started singing before I started playing bass. But yeah, he was—he was never a part of the band. All right, so I will make sure to tell Rachel and Amanda they are totally
0: wrong. And <laughs> fact. And then I guess the thing that anyone hearing this is going to wonder is. What do you think of the music industry, like something you dreamed of doing and now you're making it and you're getting into it? Tell me what you guys liked about it. Start with you, what do you like about getting into the music business? And what were you kind of surprised to learn that you were taken back by?
2: I don't think anything has been too surprising. The best part about being in the music business is creating music that I I love and I think is greater than the stuff that's parts with my brothers with Adam with John with Mark. That is the dream come true. The fact that I get to do that and I get to tour around the world with these guys playing shows, having people respond to our music, singing those words back at us. I believe in every step of it. I believe in all of Mark's drum beats, in the guitar parts, in the lyrics. Like there's a certain chemistry there that's in the room when the the four of us are able to write songs together. That. I think is is very, very rare to come by. And the fact that we get to do that continually, we've had to put it on hold for a year thanks to COVID, but we're gonna get back in the room and, and start making music again and having fun. That 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 is bliss, and that is far more amazing than I could ever imagine a, a job or career being. So I feel very fortunate to have been, been a part of this thing. God, I can't believe I'm admitting this to you guys,
0: but the song, uh, you can't look back, that song resonated with me, and it's like the fourth time I've said that word. I know someone's gonna come here and say, Was that your word of the day? Yes. That song, I was going through a certain something in my life when that song came onto my radar, and it was something I was trying to get over, not COVID, like going through something emotionally in life. The message in that song was, I. I, if I had a camera, if we're recording, I would turn and show you, I have a plaque on my wall that says the only time you should ever look back in life is to see how far you've come. So I got that plaque around the exact same time that i was very very into that song and my daughter and i like really bonded over that song she loved this song and you can't get that asking alexa in case you didn't know it's not part of their collection so i'd have to put on youtube and my daughter and i would dance to that seven years old we'd dance to it and she would sing along and then she would tell my wife this is daddy's favorite part and like we'd sing along to it so like I thank you guys. And it's not even just the words, but like the entire song. And it's such a powerful song to me. And I won't say it resonated with me. I'll say it blew <laughs> my fucking mind because it's just something about that song. And I think I'm so happy to hear that something that can mean so much to a fan or someone that really feels connected to it, to know that you have that same connection, like you're putting out what we're receiving, and something about matching that up, I think, it, I, why I love music so much is it creates an emotion that nothing else in life can do for you. And the fact that you guys are creating it, you have a bigger impact on people than I think you realize because when you see big crowds and 80,000 people, yes, you see them singing along, but every one of those 80,000 people has a story to their bobbing their head and singing along. And like to know that you're affecting that many people at one time like I can't even wrap my head around it. Like I get emotional just thinking about it.
2: Thank you for saying that. That's a beautiful thing. I really appreciate that. That's one of those things that that kind of speaks to the chemistry of the band. Mark wrote all the music for that song. He kind of had it all out in his phone, and then the guitar parts and stuff, and and he was putting drums on it, and he he went with it, and then. I, I put my little bass line in there. John put his, his guitar parts on top of it, and Adam started singing those words that I think were inspired by the music Mark had created under it. So, so that's the chemistry of the band, and that, that's how we work together, and that's, that's what Taking Back Sunday is. So I'm really happy that that connected with you in such a way that I think represents our band really well in the modern day. You know, the record came out 2016, but you know, I think it represents, it's a good starting point for where the band is going to go in the future.
0: Yeah, I cried to it. I've had tears come down listening to that song. So I hope you don't judge me or think less of me for it. But it's a powerful song. And again, that to me is like the most amazing thing about music where just because it's a certain genre and some people might not like there's certain songs in other areas like in hip hop or rap, which isn't my number one choice that I will listen to, let's say, if I'm working out or taking a walk. But I can hear a certain song and what the artist is so like. Eminem, ironically, you guys be the Eminems. I don't mean your third grade band, but Marshall Mathers. Like, I absolutely love him because just to read his lyrics and like, it's such a powerful thing. To me, music is so amazing because you don't have to have gone through what someone is going through. It gives a peek into the soul of that artist to hear a story through their eyes and how they experienced it. And I think that's why that song is so powerful to me is just the lyrics. And and I will say the beat, the drums. I mean, I could drum that song in my mind because I've drummed it on my steering wheel so many times while driving. So yes. it's to speak to the person that put it all together and created it. And thank you for giving me that emotional song and making me admit to being a complete
2: softie. dude it's dad life man we're all right there with you yeah and and i was like hearing that man that that like that is very nice to hear
1: so thank you for saying that
0: what's next for you guys not just the band but you guys like as people i'm curious here's from mark because i can tell mark is very much a creative i can tell that mark is someone that i'm guessing very into his family same with sean
2: i don't I, i mean my kids are all right
0: I saw a picture of both of your kids behind you while you guys. I'm guessing you guys were playing. can't look back. I saw. It was it recent with you guys checking in during COVID, where you guys are all in different locations. I'm assuming. Yep. Yeah, I saw a picture of your kids behind you when you were playing bass in that video on YouTube. One of the first things I saw, and I said, you know what, I need to ask them. What's the biggest difference going on tour when you're leaving just your parents behind? And when you're having to pack up and leave for six months, leaving your wife and kids behind. So if you tell me that, I'm, Sean, I'm really curious about that one. Like, What's that like?
2: So, so when we first started doing it, it was, it was pretty gut-wrenching. You know, like Leaving your parents like, oh, I can't wait to get out of the house. This is cool. When you, after you have new kids and stuff and you're leaving for six weeks, that, that is pretty tough. But you get through it, but you have more incentive to do it. I have to provide a nice life for them, and I get to live my dream. So boo-hoo to me, you know, I, I, these kids are, are strong. They're getting used to it as they grow and we got FaceTime. So, so we've, we figured out ways around it. We play little games over FaceTime and stuff and and the kids really start to understand. I don't know how this year of us being home is going to whack them, but I think, I think they kind of understand and they understand very well that I love my job. I love being on that stage. I hate missing them, but I want to provide a good life for that. And the best way I can do that is to play in shows with my boys. So So it's a pretty charmed life.
0: Do they understand, like, if they watch something or if they see you in front of a huge audience, are they able to really understand that daddy is famous, daddy has all these fans, or... Do they really not care like my
2: kids with anything I do? <laughs> yeah, I'm the bass player, so the, the famous isn't really an issue, but they, they understand that people respond to daddy's band and daddy's music, and they love coming to shows. They love being there at Soundcheck and watching the show from the side of the stage. The bass really, like all, all the low subs and stuff, really help my daughter fall asleep when she's watching the shows, and they're usually pretty late. But my son is, is all crazy about it. My son and Mark's son have a band called Taking Back Friday. I don't know where they came up with the name. <laughs> How old are your kids? Mark's son is eight, my son is seven, and my, my daughter is four.
0: Ah, i have a seven to four-year-old as well. Look at that. Go on tour and the kids can play and I can play the steering wheel and bring that for my car and play that like it's a drum. I'll stand next to Mark and I'll cry away like a little softy as we play that song. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a
1: wild thing. It's a wild thing to think like our, our kids starting this band, right? Oh, my God. It's literally what we did
0: they
1: legitimately are playing together it's through uh you know through Face the computers time. yeah because of covid but
2: yeah man like yeah like, no, you're
0: joking no. oh wow no.
2: what do they play my son's he's been taking drum lessons and he makes noise on a guitar i wouldn't say he's he's playing it but he's trying he he, he can scratch kind of like tom morello so that that's his mo right now I, i've definitely heard some scratching
1: <laughs> A lot <laughs> of it. <laughs> Yo, I was yeah. That kid is man. That kid is very funny. And I heard him scratching away one day, and I was like, man, that is hilarious. And I'm, it <laughs> makes me so happy that they're that they're doing that.
2: Yeah, and I don't think they're ever going to stop.
0: One of my business partners' brother is Scott Ian from Anthrax.
2: Nice. Oh wow.
0: So to hear some of like, the stories of coming up, I've heard the big stories of hitting fame, and the reason I kind of like stayed away from like what was that like is because I think everyone's heard that before, but being a business podcast and having an organization that revolves around businesses, I think it's more inspirational for people to hear the low points because more people are going to relate or know what it's like to buy lots of ramen because they're going on tour in the soccer mom van versus being a tour bus with groupies. So I think people will really uh, like to hear this. If you had to say the greatest person that you got to meet, or the greatest moment getting to meet an idol or a hero or someone you looked up to in the music industry, can both of you guys starting with you, Sean? Tell me who that introduction or meeting was like a big thing.
2: Oh man, I got to think about that for a minute.
0: What about you, Markle? He thinks who stood out to you?
1: You know, I, you know when you meet when you meet people, a lot of times it's a hello, how are you doing? That's it. You know, at at that Green Day show, I got to talk to Mike Dirr for a really like a good amount of time about music. So, you know, a dude in Green Day, like Green Day, like for for me and Sean and and Nick growing up, man, like that they were the gods, they're punk rock gods. They they so that was huge. That was a very big thing for me. And he was so cool. So I, you know, that that's the first thing that comes to mind. Did
0: he give you any advice about the music industry?
1: And no, we were just kind of shooting the shit about punk bands. It, you know, I didn't really ask him advice. It was just kind of a conversation.
0: Do you think a band like Green Day was better than you or is better than you or just different in their own way?
1: I mean, you know, they're kind of like idols. So of course, in my mind, like, yeah, they're, you know, I, they're not better, but they're better, you know,
0: not better, better. Uh, (laughs) good answer i am only curious if it's like a marketing thing from a business standpoint i'm trying to think if i took two bands like green day and taking back sunday is it the timing is it that if you guys had broke a couple years earlier would you be bigger than green day and they're opening for you do you see them play and you're like wow they're just like tom morello He's the most amazing guitarist. Just watching that guy blows my mind. And I've also teared up watching him play solos. I need to get into more therapy. But (laughs) watching him, like, he stands out to me so much as far as like speaking another language. Do you resonate with like Green Day like that, where they are a different caliber of musician or just timing?
1: Those albums, like uh, Insomniac and and Dookie and Nimrod, those, those albums just hit. The songs are amazing and and you know maybe it's time, but not really like you know i could I could still throw those throw those albums on now and they're just as amazing as they ever were. so it's maybe you know it's the songwriting that's just incredible
2: and the playing, yeah, sure, you know, but I don't really know you can't i don't that's hard to judge. Yeah, it's all of it and it's all subjective too. Like it, it's all the it's all the time and have it right place, right time, right label, right tours. Like there's eight million things that go right. And we've had so much that has gone right in our world that we're really content and we don't kind of kind of measure ourselves it's like well where are we 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 got to be a band for 20 years before COVID overtook the world like that that's a pretty amazing thing when we i didn't think we'd be touring much past the summer after tell your friends came out so like all of this is kind of just like bonus stuff that we're taking as it comes along and and the wins and the whys and the hows don't think about too much
0: such good stuff and it's everything As you're saying is so applicable to business to life to just Other things. Sean, what's next for you guys? I know that not knowing with COVID when things are going to open, but do you guys have any plans of recording anything new? Do you guys ever just say, let's record something on our own? Are you guys still with the label? Are you doing more yourself, less reliant on others at this point? What's the deal there?
2: Well, we, what we've done with the last couple of records is we'll we'll make the record we want, and then we'll shop it around and see who's available and who's most interested, and in who we think lines up as as the right ideas, because we don't we don't understand the the marketing and sales side of things as well. So we we want to find the right partner for the right time. So it's been five years since the last record. So we're gonna take our time with with making it when we can all get back in the same room. But that's the next that's the next step. Get in the room together, start writing some songs, and and we had a writing trip March of 2020 and the airport was kind of empty. It was kind of weird. We like, man, I think this virus thing might be, might be something real. And we got home. We're like, let's, let's try and schedule another trip, but let's, we got to wait and see what happens. And then everything went haywire. So we're excited. Everything was moving very quickly. When we were in the room, we were really feeling the chemistry now better than ever. So I think it's going to be a well-oiled machine one we, way when we start going. But yeah, I think that's going to happen in the next month or two. John, our guitar player, has already had his first dose of the vaccine, so it's coming around. It's hitting our circle, so we're we know that that that's up next. And then you know we have some festivals coming up. We just announced Furnace Fest. For, I think it's August or September. So I think it's likely to happen, depending on what this virus does and how how it's all handled. But I'm I'm feeling very hopeful about this the future in the second half of 2021.
0: Do you aim to get new fans, or do you think that your fans, it's more of a nostalgic thing of what they experienced when they were younger and recapturing that moment in time?
2: Well, we've we've seen, we we have generations, like your father-in-law being 66 and liking our band, and then we see young kids getting into it through the internet, all these streaming services and stuff. There's a lot to be desired as far as pay models go and stuff like that, but... We're reaching new audiences just through that, through playlists, through people just finding our music. Oh yeah, I remember I liked that one song or one thing leads to another. And, and we've been growing. We've been growing all, all the numbers have been going up since COVID. And, and that's an amazing thing. And over the, over the last few years, we've seen a nice upward trend. So I don't know if it's, if it's nostalgia reliving itself or something or new fans are catching on, but we're just going to keep doing what we're doing, making the best songs that we believe in. We're not trying to glom on to any, we're not going to put out a, a rap country song because that was popular a couple of years ago so we're going to do what we do we're going to make the best songs we can with the four of us believe in and we hope we get to continue to do this for 20 more years Well,
0: I don't have to say where people can find you guys because taking back Sunday, freaking Google it, look at Spotify, look at anything. You guys are really great guys. Thank you for taking the time to do this with me. I want to thank you guys for the joy you bring to us listeners and fans because like i said before you never know who it's going to affect how and at what level and just the fact that my father-in-law and myself can of all the things that we agree on could be oh, loving my wife his daughter and taking back sunday the two things that we both agree on so thank you guys for that
2: ask Sandy, please send him our regards thanks for saying that For more info, visit GetConnects.com. That's g-e-t-c-o-n-n-e-x-x.com, Or visit us on Facebook at Connects, comma, I-N-C or on Instagram at Connects underscore. And a special thanks to our sponsor, Don Pablo. All their coffee is roasted in small batches, providing the freshest tasting coffee imaginable. Simply put, it's a better cup of coffee. Order on Amazon or at DonPabloCoffee.com.